Good evening. Today I'm going to talk about judgment, aspiration, and agendas. You know, when we come to these kinds of retreats, we come seeking something. And we don't even know what it is necessarily, but we have a general idea. It has something to do with development. It has something to do with a sense that things could be better than they are. And, you know, even though we may hear uh, spiritual bromides like things are perfect the way that they are, You know, let's get real. You know, we do have a sense that they may be perfect, but they definitely could be better. (laughs) So when we come to practice, you know, we have very mixed motives. And how could that not be the case? Because when you think about it, our mind streams are very mixed. Um... You know, there's a wholesome state followed by an unwholesome state, uh, skillful aspiration followed by an unskillful agenda. And these are often operating together in some kind of mixture all through the time that we're practicing, right from the beginning of our practice on this path all the way through to the very end, so I'm told. So we undertake this journey of exploration and development with a lot of different intentions in play. And sometimes we can have a very specific idea of what we want to accomplish here on retreat. We really come in and, you know, we've got a sense of what we want to do, what we want to have happen. And it's only natural that we do have these ideas and these agendas or goals that come with us. Because after all, to be a human being is kind of a confusing situation. You may have noticed this. I mean, we have just enough agency or ability to affect things, to cause things to happen, that it really encourages us to, to try to make things happen all the time, to try to exert our will in the world as much as we possibly can. Um, there was a study a num- done a number of years ago on... Uh, uh, mice in a laboratory and and what they were trying to find out was how what would the circumstances be to get a mouse to really work hard to try to get a food pellet and they set up this experiment nonviolent I'm sure you'll be glad to know this nonviolent experiment where um, if the mouse hit a lever sometimes uh, it would receive a food pellet That was one version. 
In another version, if it hit the lever, it would never get a food pellet. And the third version was, it would always get a food pellet when it hit the lever. And what they found was, if you really wanted to get the mice hitting the lever all the time, trying to get the food pellet, you would just like reward it intermittently. You know, every once in a while when it was working the lever, it, you know, it would be a, a, a little pellet would come down the chute, you know, and it would be rewarded by that activity. So does that feel a little bit familiar to you? <laughs> You know, under some circumstances, we have little control. In some circumstances, we have some control. And in some circumstances, we have ultimate control. And it's a really big uh, task of discernment to figure out which one of those you're in at any given time. Now, we have our familiar strategy that we use in trying to be happy and in ensuring our well-being. And the general strategy goes something like, if it's pleasant, pursue it. If it's unpleasant, try to get away. Right? I mean, there's a lot of tweaks on that, but that's our general guideline uh, for how it how it goes. And so in that way, um, we're a little bit like a, um, you know that old Paul Simon song about the one-trick pony? You know, it's like a pony that only knew how to do one trick. You know, you give it a carrot, it would paw its foot or whatever it was. Give it an apple, it'd paw its foot. You know, it's like one-trick pony. And we have a little bit of one-trick pony in terms of how we approach things. So the tendency that we have when we approach practice, when we get into practice and try to do it, is we try to, usually try to do it the same way we try to do everything else. But, you know, this is really a different kind of thing that we're trying to do here. We're trying to do something that is so simple, in fact, that it's really hard. Have you noticed that? Because we bring our kind of scheming, complexifying minds into uh, these instructions to do something very simple. And we're always, consciously or unconsciously, kind of subverting um, the process and trying to get the process to serve our particular agendas and preferences. So if we're not clearly aware of what our specific agendas are, we can really get tripped up and it can hinder our progress greatly. And if they're not seen, there's a lot of wasted motion, a lot of frustration, and a lot of suffering that gets bound up in that kind of effort. So, you know, our our small self, the the self that, you know, takes pleasure and pain as its uh, primary uh, compass, is in the driver's seat. And then there's a rigid struggle that arises in order to try to control experience uh, rather than a soft receptivity to what is actually happening. So 
That all may sound a little abstract to you, but let me give you some specific examples and see if any, any of these resonate for you in any way. So these are examples of agendas or motivations that we can carry with us. It could be for a whole retreat. It could be for a sitting. It could be part of a sitting. But see if, see if any of these sound even remotely familiar to you. Um, the agenda to get rid of a particular emotion, emotional pattern, or memory. To make ourselves different, preferred version, in some essential manner. To attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we have heard or read about. (laughs) Or heard a teacher allude to mysteriously. (laughs) To prove something to ourselves or someone else. else. I've had a number of people who have uh, spouses or partners at home taking... Uh, care of small children while they're here on retreat who have told me, I have to go back with something to show for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. To experience a certain thing like pleasantness, bliss, or concentration, and uh, preferably a psychic experience or at least light, To impress the teachers, get recognized. To have my ego and or my personality disappear (laughs) or to eliminate the self-sense altogether. To experience again something from a previous retreat or sitting. This is the replay. Uh, to not experience something from a previous <laughs> retreat or city. <laughs> to be a good yogi, great would be even better. To get rid of a physical or emotional condition. Any? Any, any resonance with any of those? Maybe just a little bit, one or two, just tiny. Okay, so, you know, there are problems if we, if we don't see these and make them the home base from which we proceed to practice. And here are some of the problems that um, are inherent in that kind of approach. You know, it's way too small. It's way too small. We're trying to squeeze our spiritual practice into this very narrow context that's closed-ended and much too specifically goal-oriented, right? Our goal is little and specific. Secondly, it's the wrong starting point. 
So we're starting from the wrong base, and it's an attempt to implement some kind of preference that we have. There's the problem of split focus, right? Now, you know, we're bringing an overlay to this whole simple process. So, you know, while you may think that you can practice and kind of do your agenda in tandem with it, you know, kind of use the practice to do the agenda is usually how that goes, or get them, have them both going at the same time. You know, it's a little bit like driving and texting. <laughs> you know, there are people who think they can do it, but, you know, the other people on the road have a different opinion. So, you know, it's not open, right? We're not really open to what is happening. We're too busy trying to make something happen or not happen. But the biggest flaw with this method is it's doomed to fail. <laughs> not to be a, you know, a downer or anything, but <laughs> you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And why is that? It's because we don't actually have the ability to implement, implement our immediate preferences. Right? In fact, Andrea gave a talk last night where she went into, you know, rather uh, well-organized detail about how, you know, when the mindfulness is there, it's there, and very often when it's not there, it's, well, you don't even know it's not there, so how can you make it be there kind of thing. You know, when we're, we're operating, we're focusing our, our awareness in the present tense on what a ri- rising experience is, that's kind of front-loaded, <laughs> You know, we're seeing it arise out of causes and conditions that are already existent, right? So it's like what we experience in the present is bubbling up from other stuff that <laughs> happened, but it's like now, 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 now. So, you know, when we come along and we kind of clamp our editing function right at the, at the wellhead there and like are trying to do something with the bubbles... It doesn't work too well. Okay, so it doesn't get the desired results. All right. But if we measure our practice from whether or not these agendas succeed, we're really setting ourselves up. And self-judgment is going to come up, and it's going to come up very strongly. And it can even disable our willingness to do the simple alternative. So if we are attached or identified with these goals, ideas, or agendas, this is what happens. So I'm I'm telling you all the bad things that can happen if you do this. First of all, your mind is very stale and unsightly. (laughs) No, just stale. Okay, it's stale. It's a stale mind. (laughs) Okay, so there's no fresh mind going to the instructions, right? You don't really hear them. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, there's something about mindfulness, something about (laughs) present moment, present moment, present moment. I wonder if it's going to come back again. Present moment, (laughs) present moment. You know, we apply them uh, sort of with a goal in mind, and then, of course, they don't 
work. You know, that's always an interesting phrase. It's not working. <laughs> Which is sort of an interesting thing to say because it's kind of a functional word, isn't it? Working. It's like kind of like something should be working, you know, like I have a wrench and I'm, you know, turning it on the nut and it's not working. Okay. Uh, stale mind. Then the other thing that happens is that we're always looking for certain specific experiences that give us hope that our agenda may be implemented sometime soon, you know? So we're like scanning the horizon for potential openings, you know, through which our preference can, you know, move. Okay, so there's a bunch of other stuff that's getting missed in that process. And then, of course, there's the big, you know, choke where we're trying to control what arises and what doesn't arise in accord with what we would like to happen, and we're second-guessing what does actually happen. And then there's the grading. You know, we're grading our performance as we go along with this style of practice based on whether or not what we would like to occur or what we feel should occur actually is occurring, Right? Good samadhi, good samadhi, good yogi, good yogi, good yogi. I think I'm getting it now. I think I'm getting it now. Wandering mind, wandering. Oh, crap. crappy yogi, crappy yogi. Oh, hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. <laughs> right? So then our, you know, our ego kind of expands and contracts based on, you know, how it's going. You know, we come, become very identified with the content of the practice. And, you know, we're uh, kind of out to lunch a lot of times because we're so busy trying to manipulate experience and get it to fall the way we want it to fall that we're often missing the predominant experience, which is actually one often of striving or wanting or doubt. So... So then you've got the struggle and the fatigue and the hindrances coming up from this style of practice because we can't control it and then we feel like we uh, have failed and then we get mad or we get sad and then self-judgment comes up and then doubt and fatigue and lots of hindrances. And so, you know, there are a lot of ways it doesn't work and there are a lot of reasons it doesn't work but a bottom line is there's a rigid insistence on predetermined experience. And because it doesn't flow with or rest on in any way what's actually happening, <laughs> it's in resistance to the truth. And so, you know, what's that, that old song? Uh, you know, I fought the law and the law won. So there's a lot easier way to practice, and that has more to do with like harmonizing with the truth and the way things are. Given that we have no control anyway, you know, uh, reality is singing the lead. You know, can we like harmonize? Can we like listen to the note and like harmonize with the note? Um, because we really don't know what's going to happen next, and so. 
things arise and pass away according to their own nature because of causes and conditions. You know, any approach that involves us putting this kind of energy into making it, it do something, that's us, and then there's it, and there's us and it gap, and then there's it, and we're trying to manipulate it, doesn't work. Because we don't have that kind of control in the kind of immediate time frame that we're talking about that is the focus of practice. So you'll be pleased to know that there are things you can do about this. There are skillful ways that you can work with this. So the, the most important thing is, and what is key in this, is to hold an open-ended context for practice. Open-ended. Not predetermined, not driven by agendas. Open-ended as much as you can. Because we don't know how things will arise, or what will arise. It's kind of like a surprise package, you know. Every minute, it is new. It's like, whoa, where did that, where did that come from? Whoa, what is that? Where did it come from? Where did it go? You know, as or after events arise, that's when uh, insight occurs, not before. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like you know, getting the getting the sequence right. That's why I st- said at the beginning. I said getting the sequence is like really important in trying to figure out what you're doing here. Okay, the experience happens, then you understand. All right. So here's here's a clue to a, a red alert. Okay, this is this is if you don't remember anything else from this talk, focus now. Okay. If you have the thought or belief at any time, these are the exact words, I shouldn't be experiencing this. <laughs> or it's correlate, which is, this should not be happening, I should be experiencing X. Please know that you are attempting to run a show that you are not qualified to manage. Because that tells you that you've fallen into a state of opposition to what you're actually experiencing. So, you know, if you can recognize when you're fighting it and surrender, most of your difficulties are actually over. But as I was saying, this goes against our habituated pattern, right? of kind of getting in there at the point of sense contact and kind of like manipulating or trying to manipulate. It's actually uh, kind of a definition of dukkha, you know, (laughs) feeling the compulsive need or the compulsive conditioning to get in there and attempt to manipulate (laughs) in places where it doesn't really respond to your attempts at intervention. But it's really deep. You know, and as you go along in your practice, you'll see this tendency uh, present in the mind at increasingly refined levels. So what can you do? 
Here are some practice tips. Notice the self-sense when it arises. Okay, this is the, the sense of me or I. If you can, and this is, this is difficult to do, see if you can let go of your ego as your base of operations, familiar as it is, home sweet home, right? See if you can let go of the ego as an operating base and see it as a meditation object. So if you can do this, then you are on your way to greater ease in your practice because, think about it, then your practice becomes very simple, unidentified, and unembarrassed. It starts to work by itself. Another practice, so that's noticing the self-sense or the ego when it arises. So another thing that you can do is direct your consciousness to the agendas when you become aware of them and see them for what they are. And see if you can observe them in the same kind of close-in, receptive uh, non-judgmental, sensory, simple contact way that you would experience the breath or hearing. So there's a desire, there's a thought, there's an emotion. Notice any attachment with them, any identification with them, any desire to do them. You know, just like you would observe an impulse to, you know, get up and walk out of the meditation hall? Can you observe the impulse to want to uh, reform your personality by how you uh, handle a particular sitting? And there's another uh, way of working with these that I call reframing them. And I I kind of like this one uh, because there's an important piece to it, which is, you know, within all the agendas that I listed at the beginning, there is some wisdom in all of them, right? I mean, we don't want to, understandably, be tormented by a particular emotion, emotional pattern or memory, for instance, But in order for us to find the kernel of truth, the skillful wisdom to approach each of these potential goals, we have to do some reframing that takes into account the breadth of the undertaking that we've taken on and the humility and not knowing nature of the journey. So if we can revise these in a skillful way, then they can be more stepping stones than they are obstacles to us. 
So if you want to formulate a wiser version and consciously revise them, then the skillful aspects of these aspirations can actually be included and supported by the practice. So let me be specific then. Okay, the first one I said was to get rid of a particular emotion, emotional pattern, or memory. What if that became something like to learn to meet difficult emotions with compassion and courage? How about to make ourselves different in some essential manner? What if that became uh, to open to my full potential by developing new strengths? How about to attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we have heard or read about. An alternate for that would be to recognize new growth and insight without attachment. To prove something to ourselves or someone else could be to develop confidence and faith in my true nature. To experience a certain thing like pleasantness, bliss, or concentration, uh, maybe a psychic experience or light. (laughs) How about to recognize pleasantness, bliss, concentration when they arise without attachment? To impress the teachers get recognized? To develop my potential in order to serve others. To have my ego and or my personality disappear or to eliminate my self-sense altogether. How about to recognize my true nature or original face? To experience again something from a previous previous retreat or sitting, to let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of each moment, to not experience something from a previous retreat, to let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of every moment, to be a good yogi may be great, to offer the Sangha the gift of my highest intentions, to get rid of a physical, emotional condition, to remember with compassion all those who struggle, may we all be free from suffering. So, you know, I'm, so I said, you know, we've got the seed of wisdom and we want to be happy we have some, you know, general sense of where we want to go. And when we get too specific and too narrow, 
and try to run the show too much, the car goes off into the ditch. You know, when we can harmonize more, bring what's skillful and wise about what we want into right relationship with how things actually unfold in this process, it's a completely different experience. So, you know, those are suggestions on how to work with it. You know, the reframing can be very powerful. And, you know, for for those who don't take direction well, (laughs) there's always the observe what happens when you attempt to practice from the narrow perspective. You know, just really notice what happens when you you try to do it uh, on your own steam. And and some of you folks that have uh, been in 12-step programs are going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Same mind. Same mind, same need for letting go. So I'm going to close this uh, with a story here. And uh, this is a good reminder of the nature of the spiritual path as a composting process because it starts with uh, one set of assumptions and winds up uh, very different because of the good practice that was done by the individual in this story. So probably about... Well, a while ago, <laughs> a while ago, I got a phone call, years ago actually, I got a phone call from uh, an acquaintance of mine. And uh, she said that she had a friend uh, that she wanted to bring over to talk to me. And at, at the time I was, uh, had a particular job um, that was relevant uh, pertinent to the reason they wanted to come over. So I said, oh, okay, sure, come on over. So the two of them came over, and uh, the friend was introduced, and uh, the friend told me that she was going to undertake a cross-country walk by herself from the West Coast to the East Coast of the United States, uh, she would be uh, walking alone. She would be uh, stopping in communities along the way. And she would be uh, bringing a musical instrument with her and she would be uh, doing uh, concerts for peace. So this was a, a peace walk. And the reason uh, that her friend brought her to me was that I was in a position where I could you know, write letters of introduction for her that would be uh, good in various communities for getting her a venue. And then the other reason that they came to me is that I taught self-defense at that time. And her more practical friend said, well, you know, if you're going to do something like that, you know, uh, peace is good, but, you know, knowing how to get out of, well, never mind, is better. So, okay, so we had this very mixed kind of conversation about 
about this undertaking, and you know there was some information transfer going on uh, between us. And I was really kind of intrigued by this because I thought, wow, you know, this is like really a major undertaking to do. I mean, can you imagine? This one was probably in in her 30s at the time. You know, it's a big country. Walking by yourself, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of people out there, you know. Some of them are wonderful and some of them are not so good. So I offered my support and then I said, well, you know, what I really would like is when you finish this, you know, when you're, you're back in town, I'd really love to hear how it went, how, did, how, how the whole thing was for you and how it unfolded and what you experienced and all the rest of it. So probably about mm, six months later, uh, this woman uh, came to the office and she had indeed finished this march. And I said, so how how was it? How did it go? You know, what, what did you learn? And she said, well, what I learned is that uh, I did the march because uh, my boyfriend had dumped me, and I thought if I did this walk, I would lose a lot of weight, and he would be impressed, and he would want me back. Now, that's not what you were expecting, was it? (laughs) Now, obviously, that was probably largely unconscious, maybe somewhat conscious motivation that was in place at the beginning of the walk. But you don't walk across the country... (laughs) By yourself, no matter how good the boyfriend is, <laughs> unless you find some other kind of motivation. So I, I bring this uh, story up as uh, an example of our mixed motives and an example also of the transformative potential that we all have as we move along step by step and just pay attention. You know, we start to see the agendas, we see the motivations, but we find something deeper, something truer, something less self-powered, something that relies a lot less on our own little energy of I can, I want, I will. Something that that carries us if we find a way to get out of the way and open to it. So I leave you with that both cautionary and instructive tale and the wish for you that you find the firm base of your own aspiration in openness to 
the truth you do not yet know. So let's sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.